0: Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's annehil org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. You're listening to Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, and with me today on the phone are two people who do really interesting work with dreams in dream theater. I'm talking to Mike Tappan and Irene Klerman, and they have a website at dreamportrayal.com that talks more about their work and their approach to dreams. Uh, Mike and Irene, welcome to Dream Talk Radio.
1: Thank you, Anne. It's good to be here.
0: So I, I guess my first question is, what brought the two of you to work together, and and was it through Dream Theater that you met each other, or did you, you know, were you colleagues, uh, friends, and then, you know, went into this whole dream realm?
1: Well, you know, both of us have been doing projective dream work for quite a while, um, and we both followed our dreams for. Oh, you know, fifteen years or so. Um, we came together because I think we were both interested in really depicting the dream and, and understanding the power of what the symbol is. And uh, um, we both met at actually a, a workshop in uh, in projective dream work and talked to each other about the kind of things that we wanted to do and how we could powerfully. Um, uh, show a dream and and feel the power of the dream by not just talking about the dream but by by, by experiencing the dream symbols you now we've both done uh, uh, uh theater work uh irene you can talk about what you've done I, irene was uh, a, uh, uh, a a creek for the the paper in, uh, in our newspaper here in denver and I've done some theater work a couple years of theater work in improv theater hmm
0: Irene and ha-
2: we we yes. both students of Jeremy Taylor. Oh yes, we're both certified through Jeremy's um, program as dream facilitators, and so we used his uh, project ideas about projective dream work as the basis for our our dream portrayal. But we're very excited to get up off our chairs and use props and colors, and um, we're both interested in art and theater and movement. I teach yoga also, uh-huh. and I'm very interested in the body-mind connection, and it was amazing for us to find another person who was also interested in it, so we teamed up, and we really feel that um, having a male and a female together balances the energies that are in, you know, that are in the dreams.
0: Yes. Well, so when you talk about Enacting a dream rather than talking about the dream, maybe you can give me an example of of how how that works for you when you are when you're in a workshop. Do you, people come with dreams? How you know? So maybe you can sort of guide our listeners through the process of of, of taking a dream into theater.
1: Irene, do you want to start with that?
2: Okay, um, we use Jeremy's technique of everybody who's interested in. In having their dream work, puts the, their name in a hat and mm-hmm. we pick a name. Um, we do a little centering ritual with some breath work to get people centered in their bodies. We pick a dream. And initially, we do do group projective dream work where each person using the if it were my dream technique uh, approach uh-huh. starts to help the dreamer unpack the dream. And once we feel like we've gotten to a critical place, we usually ask the dreamer which part of the dream they would like to enact. And, Mike, you can tell how that works.
1: Yeah. You know, and usually what happens, we ask the dreamer um, about any, we can enter the dream at any place uh, and enact a part of that dream. A dream is much like a hologram. We can really enter a dream at any place, and and it, it will in ways depict that entire dream. So we'll ask the dreamer if there's a section of the dream that's maybe uh, feels more resonant, uh, powerful, maybe even enigmatic, and then we'll ask the dreamer to, um, to come up and depict part of that dream. We have uh, hundreds of yards of, of cloth and props and masks and all kinds of things. And what we'll ask the dreamer to do is pick people in the workshop to be those symbols. Uh, we always have the dreamer dress the symbol up. As soon as we start putting capes on people and, and wearing robes and that sort of thing, we really come out of our intellectual life and really go into imagination. It really turns into kind of a mythological play and, and, and adventure as as the people in the circle start enacting parts of that uh, those dreams. It's fascinating to see what happens because as we start portraying that dream and enacting that, the people who are playing the symbols, really pick up a lot, much more than they, I mean, in many ways, uh, in a much different way than they would just talking about the dream. Mm-hmm. Somebody can be somebody's um, in the dream, maybe play somebody's mother, or they may play an inanimate object. Maybe they're a window, maybe they're a door. And it's really something to see how those people who are asked to be a part of the dream really pick up on the power of those of those symbols. Um, it's just amazing. It's also amazing to watch the dreamer Uh, who the dreamer picks, it just seems to be always just the the right person, somebody who really um, can some way really tap into those sorts of things that happen. Um, It's always dreamer's choice, though. The dreamer can be uh, part of the dream or they can direct the dream. It's really free form. People can talk uh, and stop a minute and talk about what that dream means to them or what it feels like to play the part. Uh-huh. after the dream so we'll go through an enactment like that the dream as it's enacted has a real life of its own and we'll find it has an organic nature too it 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 will move and as facilitators we still use the if this were my dream we would ask a question well if this were my dream i'd wonder what this you know i'm wondering what it's like to be this person and we can ask that and that way it really enriches what's going on in the in the dream and i think that i mean i know the dreamer really experiences the dream not just talking about it but really seeing and feeling and and hearing what that symbol is it's also very powerful for the person playing the dream because they are part of that dream and after the dream, when we talk about the dream, when they say, if this were my dream, this is what I thought, they they have really experienced that part of the dream. So we find it very, very powerful for both the participants, of course, and, and the dreamer, him or herself.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's say uh, we're working on my dream, and I've had a dream. Uh, let's say I'm in, a, I'm in a campsite in the woods, and there's a fire circle ringed with little rocks, and there's a big tree and some kind of monster comes out from behind the tree. Let's just, you know, that, just making that up off of the top of my sure, head. Sure, sure. So then Very if good. I were... <laughs> yeah, what a <laughs> well, dream. we yeah, love that dream. It's pretty mythological, pretty evocative. And so um, so then I maybe I get somebody to play the fire. If I'm directing uh-huh. people to, to enact my dream, I'll get somebody to play the fire, somebody to, to play the tree.
1: Y- y- yeah, you know, and what we would ask is, is if there is a... Uh, a particularly resonant part of that dream we like to start. Okay. One of the things that we find ourselves doing is setting that scene. And the first thing we would do is maybe set the the, the setting, it, whether it's um, uh, in a forest or around the campfire. And the first thing we would do is set the scene. The scene is really becomes evocative, and sometimes it's something we lose sometimes when we talk about the symbols in a dream. Right. But in dream portrayal, we're in that we're in that theater. So that theater may be, maybe there'd be some rocks around. Mm-hmm. We'd ask the dreamer um, what uh, what what's around. There is the fire. We'd ask, who would you like to be the fire? Could we make the fire this way? Um, uh, we would ask you, who would you like uh, to play the tree? And we'd ask you to dress those symbols up. It's, it's, we never know it's something when we ask people to dress the symbol up, what that's going to look like. Like the first thing I would think of, is a tree would be green. It's interesting to watch... Uh, dreamers dress the tree up and maybe in some other evocative color for them. It may be, um, you know, it may be kind of an earthy brown and it may may to them feel more like the trunk of the tree or they Mm -hmm. may put down the roots. It's really interesting because we project what our meaning is when we're portraying that. Um, we really get a much more clear picture of, of, of what the dreamer is talking about. So they, they will um, interestingly make all kinds of interesting things um, uh, for, for those symbols, what those symbols are.
2: For example, your monster, I'm projecting my monster. I see my monster in my head, but we would ask you to go over to the fabrics and the masks or whatever hats and eyeglasses, whatever, and create your monster. And once we see that monster in front of us, Oh, we get a whole different image of what your dream is right. about and not to mention the, the monster it has is be- beginning to embody the energies in your dream, the person playing the monster
1: mm-hmm. and let me just uh, sure. give you an example of, of how that can happen. I think thinking of a monster in a dream. A woman had a dream of what she said was a menacing figure, and the menacing figure, and she talked about that menacing figure and as we and people talked about it you know maybe being oh, the animus, and uh, it was a male figure, and that sort of thing. When we portrayed it, though, and we asked her to dress the figure, it was it was really something, because what she did was... Now, when I think of menacing figure, you know, my menacing figure may be Darth Vader, that oh, has right, some breathing yeah. and dressed in black. When she started... So that's my projection of what a menacing figure, and I'm sure all of us listening to, you know, you saying you have a monster come in, what that monster looks like. Mm-hmm. is that was portrayed, though, the woman... Um, Put a cape around this uh, figure that she'd asked to be the menacing figure. It was purple, and she started. She put a um, a small scarf that was with with uh, moons and stars, and she put a yellow turban around the head. That was really a menacing figure to her. And as we depicted the dream, that figure, as she said, just stood there and watched. Mm-hmm. Everybody, as, as the dream was being portrayed, that was a really frightening figure to her. Us doing the portrayal kept looking at that that menacing figure, and Irene walked over to me and said, "My gosh, she's created a wizard." Right. As that figure, she couldn't speak to that that figure, that menacing figure. And we asked her if there was somebody in the dream. She had a, this was a complex dream, but she had a heroic figure in the dream. We said, could that figure ask who, who this, uh, uh, this um, menacing figure is? And she said, well, yes, this person could in the dream say that. Well, ask her to ask. So the dreamer asked the, the, this other figure in the dream to ask her what she's doing. And, and the figure said, she said, who are you? And the figure said, I have no judgment. I just see. And the dreamer stopped for a minute and almost started to cry and said, that's me. I'm the seer who's afraid to see oh. who that figure was for her. The menacing figure was actually a part of her that she wasn't claiming. If it were, and so, so for her, that menacing figure was actually a part of herself. You know, in this culture, we don't really advertise that we're clairvoyant or that we're, that we're intuitive. I mean, it's not something we usually tell people. It's something that's kind of pushed down in our lives. So that menacing figure was something in her that had been pushed down. Mm-hmm. And what the menacing figure did as she said, that's me. The menacing figure took off the cape and said, well, this is yours. So that the dreamer could really stand there in that power, which started out as a, as a menacing, almost monster-like figure, but for her was really part of herself that she had pushed down. So that's the kind of thing that happens in dream portrayal, um, where where we watch these figures kind of uh, kind of grow. And and I think you know we become more and more struck by some of the monsters we see, um, and some of the menacing things we see is really in in many ways our own power. It may be something we push down. It something that's become rather frightening, but it's nevertheless part of us that that we have to own in some way. And what Mike
2: said about um, exchanging the costume, often, um, especially if we hit a block in a dream, we don't know what's happening, you know, we can't get beyond it, we ask the dreamer to become another character besides herself or himself. Like we might ask you Mm -hmm. to become the tree and see how it feels. Or, as Mike said, if we feel there's a huge amount of power in the monster, we may ask the dreamer. And it's always dreamer's choice. The dreamer can say no at any point in any of our enactments. But we'll ask the dreamer, how would it feel for you to take this power that you've given to the monster and and wear it, you know, literally wear it by putting the fabric on you? And and that usually transforms the work right
1: there. Well, it's in, we, we, we've had people after the work has ended wanting to wear that, that piece of material through the rest of the workshop because for them it's an empowering thing yes. that they've really just discovered.
0: Well, it sounds like, and I'm, I'm noticing a little distinction uh, in, the, in the idea of dream portrayal as opposed to dream theater because what it's sounding like is that it's sort of, uh, as you say, kind of a hologram. It's not like we reenact this particular scene, but we set up the scene.
1: So in yeah you know my, and, and in dreams are so dramatic in nature and evocative, and what we see and, and what we have to go with is that the the nature of the dream moving too it really does have a life of its own. If we just depict that dream word for word um and 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 just read that dream, it becomes enacted and it just dies it 's really static and one of the things that we really see in this kind of in in dream work like this and dream portrayal is that. Um, um the meanings change things grow thing, things have a, a, a just a uh, almost a dramatic tension to just move and the real important thing is that it moves in in a dramatic way and not in the way our ego wants it to go you know so often i'll i 'll hear people talk about we will we'll, um you know end the stream the way you want well Jen if we use our our daylight our Daytime logic. We want to do two things. We either want to uh, you know, make friends with everything or, or, or kill the bad person. And dramatically, that never does happen in, in dream portrayal, because what it is really is engaging with those symbols. So we have no idea where that's going to end, but it ends in, in, in really knowledge and, and essentially empowerment empowerment to know the many aspects of ourself so it becomes really um, uh, a a wonderful I mean it's a really learning experience and a a powerful experience for everybody in in the dream work but it does have a kind of a nature of its own and and, you know we're standing there as unknowing where this dream is going to go as anyone else as facilitators we want to keep the the dream work safe and we want to make sure that the dreamer only you know does what they only want to do and that it, it moves in its own organic way
2: yeah, I think organic is the key, because uh, we had a dream recently where where the dreamer herself said, I don't want to just create an ending oh, yeah. for the dream that's going to be happily ever after, you know, which would be, in this particular dream, she would get up and sing with the chorus, because in the dream she couldn't sing, and she wanted to sing, and mm-hmm. these other people in the dream could sing. And she said, no, she didn't want to do that. That would be fake. And it was a really good insight. And so we asked her, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to scream. (laughs) And then she emitted the blood-curdling scream. And everyone in the dream spontaneously started applauding because we knew that's what she organically needed to do right there and not make it into a, uh, you know, a Pollyanna story.
1: Right. And this dreamer had talked about not singing for 20 years. In fact, she said since her divorce. And she let out this incredible scream, and and, uh, uh, it was really powerful. Two days later, we got a note saying, Thank you, I was at my exercise class, and I'm singing again. She had to scream before she could sing, and that's Mm -hmm. where that went. The interesting thing about that scream and that dream, and do you mind if we just talk about this example like this? Can you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I was just saying, um, what happened in that dream is that she talked about, uh, one of the things that came up while she was depicting the dream was about one time her mother, um, during a recital when she was a young girl, um, asked her to, in the middle of the recital, asked her to go get a drink of water. And then that was just said during the dream portrayal, as she was talking about, um, I, I don't want to sing, I want these other people to sing. The person who playing the mother just turned to her and said, would you go get me a drink of water? And that's what she had said happened, and, and, and that's when she screamed. And that scream was just a really... Um, I mean, just, just released all sorts of tension in, in all of us just to hear that scream, and then she could go on and be the same. We're channeling
2: these energies, and so they're very powerful. In fact, at the end of our dream work, we, at the end of each dream, we ask all the people who are in the dream to say, I am no longer the mother, I am now Irene again so that they can release some of that energy. And sometimes we do even uh, more extensive rituals,
0: Mm -hmm. because
2: we don't want people carrying, especially if they're the villain, we don't want people carrying that energy with them. And it's a very powerful and very emotional work. And we're extremely aware of
0: that. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for both of you. Um, Say there you're entering a dream, somebody's dream, and there is a lot. Well, let's go back to the example of the monster and the the campfire. if I, you know, I choose somebody to portray the monster. Maybe I choose somebody to portray me sitting there, uh, roasting marshmallows or whatever I'm doing. And so, do I then? Uh, do these two j- just sort of start improvising, or do I say, "Okay, now I want you to seem scared and I want you to seem menacing"? To so, uh, how much is there direction? How much is there improv on the part of the? Of the people who are playing the different parts of the dream,
1: you, you know, we'll always we'll always ask the dreamer to give information to the to the symbols, and uh, uh, we'll ask the dreamer. It, it always it's, it's the dreamer who's who's directing uh, how the other how the, what the other symbols are how they feel. So the first thing we would do is really ask as the, as you dress a person. Let's say it's the monster. Um, we'd ask things like, uh, "Is this?" you know, in this dream, does this monster have any feelings? Does it have any anything that uh, you can, you know, any information you can give? The other thing is the monster will ask, too. We ask that they ask so that the dreamer can really control the show here.
2: And we usually start by acting out a, a piece of, a, that was actually in the dream that we'd all heard the dreamer recite, and then from there we We might stop and say to the monster, "Now, how are you feeling now?" or or, or we'll notice we watch people's faces and and maybe the tree um, has something to say, and then we'll watch and see that maybe one element of the dream is often a corner and not participating, uh-huh. and so we'll try to turn the direction there. You know it's like it's like having a spotlight and trying to spotlight the dream, and then we'll go from there, as Mike said, whatever the dream seems to call for and we check in with the dreamer at all times and see if the dreamer is mm-hmm. willing to go to that place.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we'll ask the symbol what, what they're feeling, and there will be—you uh, know—there will be some. It's not really necessarily improv, but it is a feeling. The feeling they have is that part. So we'll ask them, or they will—they will, they will uh, give that information to us. It's—it's—it's it's, it's really interesting to hear. If let's say, let's say a tree. Uh, says something, we will ask the dreamer, would that be what that tree would say? And the dreamer can say yes or no. We've had that occur a few times. It's really the dreamer's running this. So if, if that doesn't seem right to the dream, well, then we'll just say that, and then we'll, well, what, would the, what would the tree feel if, if we have to say it that way? Um, uh, but we well, do well, ask.
2: We'll ask the dreamer, do you have a question? for for any part of this dream, any of the characters or or inanimate objects in this dream. Do you have something you want to know? And then the dreamer will go over to this object or other person and start a conversation often, and then it takes off from there, and that can be quite incredible.
0: Right. So I guess my, my next question for you both is, and it sounds like such a lovely mix of Uh, instincts from theater and also instincts uh, from dream work, I wonder if you could uh, say what what of your background is there one part of your background as dreamers and as theater people that you draw on more than the other or at this point in your work have you sort of blended the two so seamlessly that it's hard to tell Hmm,
2: That's a really interesting question Mike, do you have any...
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, we we certainly blend and, and bring our own you know, intuition and skills into this. But I must say, I think the thing that has been most important is is the work with Jeremy Taylor, the sense of really that we are all projecting here and that no one can say the meaning of a dream but the dreamer. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. nothing so pointless in to, you know, try and tell people what a dream means. And that's certainly true within the dream portrayal, too. It really has to resonate with with the dreamer. uh, you know, and whatever, and, and with, with anybody. I mean, so often we'll leave that dream with our own lessons and our own wisdom from from the dream. But, um, I mean, I, I find uh, uh, the projective sort of dream work in owning what we say when we are doing dream portrayal. Everybody that's part of that dream is really comfortable in owning what they are. They can't really do anything wrong. If they say something that doesn't seem to work out in the dream, then the dreamer will say so and, and, and will work it out to something that really just feel dramatically right or intuitively right or emotionally right. So there, you know, it, it is really an, an intuitive jump and a trust of who the dreamer chooses and, and and how the drama progresses but but certainly the the issue of, of projective dream work and and uh, knowing that that we're all working with our you know we're all kind of foisting our own realities on this is really important it really does um, make it an intimate group of, of dreamers who are working together in this mm-hmm. common you know drama in front of them uh, but there is a lot of intuition but it's yeah. but it's the understanding that it's really um, you know it's it's really dreamer's choice and, and it's the dreamer's reality here and the dreamer's perceptions that, that are so there's you know so so important so it's really not trying to direct the action it's just facilitating the action and that's that's some work uh, often you yeah. know just really facilitating what does seem organic and and not hijacking the dream mm-hmm.
2: yes and, and keeping everybody safe I, I second that motion that we we really work on that a lot and we try to be aware not only of the dreamer but also the other people in the in the portrayal can be triggered as well very often as you may have noticed in DreamWork, when you get a group together there's the similar issues yeah. uh, you know we've had for example a run of dreams about people's mothers and inevitably people in the group will say well my mother just died too and things like that so being safe is is primary and as far as theater We're not doing, obviously, a performance at all. It's not performance. It's being, it's holding the energy. And what the theater part for me is the emotional part. Like, if I feel like people are not owning their emotions or wanting, or afraid of their emotions, then I try gently to help them get to the place where they really can connect with the strongest emotion in the dream.
0: Mm -hmm. Irene, you you mentioned... uh making people safe, and I'm wondering what that looks like for you. I mean, my my experience as a dream worker and also as somebody, you know, just working on my own dreams is there's, I mean, I think what I'm interpreting that as is just uh, communication, you know, checking in with maybe you have something different that you add to that to increase the feeling of safety in the room.
2: Well, One thing we do do also is after, if we've had somebody have an extremely dramatic and emotional dream, we will tell them that we're available following Mm -hmm. the enactment or even during the week to police call. I have had the experience of calling someone myself to make sure that they, if they need to process, I'm there. Um, I think having two people really helps because we're on different sides of the room usually. And before people say, I need help or I'm scared or whatever, we're there sensing. And I will physically go over to somebody, for example, if a dreamer is having a very intense enactment from reenacting a trauma in the dream, I might stand next to the person physically Mm -hmm. and just be there and be checking in and let them know that they're not by themselves in the middle of this big room, that kind of thing.
1: I see. And, and people in the group are so sensitive to that, too. I mean, we see yeah. so often that, that, that other people within, in, in the dream work um, go to the, the person if they need a little support. Um, I think, too, the sense of the dreamer knowing that it is dreamer's choice. No one has to go anywhere they don't want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, that they feel comfortable with that, and, and we provide that, that safe place to be. And I think that, that's really important, and, and everybody at the onset of the dream work knows that, and I think that's important. No one's going to be pushed anywhere um, uh, at all, but um, uh, you know, this is really dramatic and, and uh, uh, you know, just, just individual, individually meaningful for, for each person, and, and uh, we can just stand there in, in, in that truth.
2: The kindness that comes out in the group that we try to foster is, as Mike said, it's very impressive. People will cluster around the dreamer at the end of a dream, if need be, and so that there there's a sense of connection, yeah, and ally. Yeah,
1: and- and I think, too, people aren't left, you know, we're talking about monsters here. Generally, what we find at the end of so many dreams is really a sense of empowerment. And, yes, there are those instances where uh, we're really working with a really, you know, tough issue and life and a feeling of life and death issue and, and of pain. Uh, and that certainly does happen in, in any dream work. Um, i but, but, you know, there, there's a way through that. And I think what happens in so much of the dream work, and this is uh, in not just, um, you know, dream portrayal work, but there is a sense of, of going through that place of pain to a place of of, of some power and, and a point of understanding. Mm-hmm. So people generally aren't left with this feeling of, oh, my God, I've hit this, you know, I've, I've, I've broken open my heart, and here I am standing here. There is an organic right. healing that goes on if dreams right. come, and I believe this. Uh, uh, for health and wholeness, we really leave those dreams, most dreams, if we really engage with those things with a sense of wholeness and, and power. So people aren't left with that. But certainly that is a, a is a concern, that people do, um, you know, work with some tough issues that they may feel need to be, you know, further explored, and we're certainly available for that.
2: Mm-hmm. And the wall that, you know, the protection that, that happens in discussion dream work, because we're all sitting in chairs and we're just talking sort of evaporates when we stand up and you create your monster, and as Mike was explaining with the wizards, we've had several occasions where the dreamer won't even go into the dream space that he or she has created because it's too scary. Right. So it's much more intense than just discussing the dream.
0: You're listening to Dream Talk Radio. I'm Ann Hill. I'm your host, and I'm talking on the phone to Mike Tappan and Irene Clerman, who are in the Denver area, and they work with Dream Portrayal. You can find their website at dreamportrayal.com. And um, this is really fascinating. I think I, I've I've experienced some dream theater or dream, port- you know, whatever people call it, dream reentry in a certain, in whatever sense that happens. And I, I think what your your point about saying, you know, once you take off the scarves or the cape and say, I am no longer the tree in this dream, I am, you know, back to my old self, I think there's just as, it's good to have that emphasis on waking life re-entry, just as we've yes. entered the dream. I have a question for you both about group size. It sounds like this is a... a A way of working a method of dream work that involves a certain amount of uh, group energy and I'm wondering what what sizes of groups do you find the most conducive to this kind of work
2: well we've had anywhere from three people to thirty people Uh, we presented At the Chicago Conference of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, Uh thirty people in the room, and of course the the dream spirits are good. So they they sent us a dream that had a barn in it, and the dreamer suggested that everybody in the room who wasn't directly in the dream as an actor should be the barn. Uh So we had thirty people creating a barn with pieces of fabric all around, and they became a safe space and also witnesses. Um, So. I think ideally we probably would start with, say, six people, and then we could, uh, six to 15, Mm -hmm. ideally, but it was amazing to work with 30, it worked really well. Uh, The dream takes care of us, we find, that whoever's there should be there, and it becomes powerful.
1: Yes. It was interesting when we were in Chicago and we had thirty people, and, and at least twenty of them were playing the the walls of a barn. It was, it was really something to hear after the dream what they felt, as as uh, Irene was saying. Um, you know, they created that space. They also. Um, I had I had the experience of, of really being kind of like the, the fly on the wall, as one person said, a witness to the, the story that was going on. And afterwards, we had a couple dreamers say, boy, it was really hard being the wall because they were so intense and holding that space. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something we, we, you know, we, we couldn't have planned on, but it's one of those things that happened where those people who were part of the wall holding these big pieces of cloth uh, picked up so much about the dream. They had so much to say afterwards as, as they were the witness to uh, you know quite an incredible experience.
0: Well, yeah, that whole, if I could be a fly on the wall, they actually yes, got to be the that. fly on the wall.
1: Yeah, it's that, it's that sense of, of everything having having spirit, even those things, you know, and that is really, in, in indigenous cultures and in shamanic cultures where everything has spirit and everything is alive, we really see that in dreams where where we have, we've had somebody play a door, two people play a door where they're just standing and, and arching their arms. And, and to watch them experience somebody going through the door, uh, was, was amazing. The big smiles on their faces, you know, doors to be walked through. We had somebody play a window and windows are, 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 are to be looked out of. And, the, the dreamer asked the person who was playing the window, you know, who are you? And she said, you know, I'm the I, I'm the window. I am the view to your future,
0: mm-hmm. uh, and that was all
1: spontaneous. Um, those are the kind of things that that happen. It really was. This was a fellow who was looking towards a new life and who had retired. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but all those things have have meaning um, and and uh, almost you know a history.
0: So do you find? I mean, it sounds like in through this process, unexpected things happen is that
1: a- all, all the time it makes it so exciting i mean we, we you know we are there uh, as as unknowing and as 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 uh, you know new mind as anybody else just just there at these moments of 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 happening and and experience and dramatic uh flow that that just occurs, occurs and it and uh it's just it's it's very amazing for all of us to be in that kind of that kind of space
2: It really requires trust, because we never know what's going to happen, and we just have to trust that we can be present enough to to help with whatever's happening, and that it will be for the good of the dreamer and the
0: dream. Yes. Well, and and I'm also getting the the idea that um, not just surprising in terms of what content comes out, but surprising in terms of... For instance, you might go into a dream, say, going back again to the example of the campfire, you might think that that the big drama is going to be with the monster and the tree and so on and so forth. But what if I have somebody portraying the log that I'm sitting on? You know, maybe that log just becomes... This, uh, you know, why am I on a log? Or You know, the whole thing, that that becomes the real dramatic tension of the right. portrayal. Right, the, the
2: spotlight turns to the log suddenly, yes. where we all assumed the log was not meaningful. Right. And it, it shifts everything. Or the You're night
0: right. sky, suddenly there's a person with a, you know, sort of an indigo scarf creating the night sky, and the night sky becomes an actor that I hadn't even seen, or I hadn't even considered really, in yes. my retelling, not only of the dream. an
2: actor but also a, a witness who, who can tell the dreamer things about the dream because the sky has this aerial perspective.
1: Yes. Right. You know, it, uh, we, Irene and I both talked about this. So often, what we see is that we we will look at a dream, or uh, um, people will look at a dream, and dream workers will look at a dream um, from the viewpoint of our day life ego, and it will when we depict when a dream is being portrayed, we'll have a tendency to look at that dream through the eyes of the victim, let's say. Um, and that often happens. In that dream, though, there are many other symbols that represent more than the victim. There are symbols of power. There are parts of us that are, are wise. There are other parts of us that we can be. So when we have, let's say, a monster in a dream, the dramatic tension may not be that monster. It may or it may not. It may be something else. It may be the fire. I mean, who knows? But that if, if you know, the dreams really come to tell us that there, there is an imaginative um, uh, solution to the kind of issues we see in our lives, and maybe it 's that burning fire, my passion for life that is actually what that dream is about mm-hmm. and what happens is in dream portrayal we see this in dream portrayal so much is that 's being depicted i mean we 've had a woman wave this orange cloth as that happens, the power of the monster actually decreases the, the monster feels less empowered and in fact you know might even come around the campfire to be with the dreamer now is that dreamers now not attending to the monster, but attending to their own passion like the fire. Mm-hmm. So we'll see these things happen all, all the time. What we think would be the dramatic point isn't, as the dream starts being portrayed, because we're looking at at the at the issue from the from the victim one who's running from the monster instead of the one who's who's learning from the campfire or the community sitting around the campfire. Mm-hmm. And we never know when a dream is is going. I mean, I'll have you know, Irene and I both do this. We have ideas of what's going to happen, and they're just completely blown away. And we have to be with that kind of uh, intuitive experience as it happens. But the thing is. The dreamer goes there. I mean, as we facilitate this, you'll see the dreamer go to these other uh, objects in the dream, which, um, which really is a, uh, maybe a really creative sense out of the, the feelings of, of being a victim. Mm-hmm. And
2: we watch really carefully when, at the beginning when people start picking, or the dreamer starts picking props and fabrics and you know often we're surprised right there but we really watched for example we had one woman had a dream about that was a swimming pool in the scene and but the the dream seemed to focus on the dogs and the animals in the dream just walking around swimming pool and we said well create a swimming pool on the floor and we all were looking at the blue fabrics and instead she walked right over to the gold fabric and put the gold on the floor and we realized that the focus of the dream the gold of the dream and the message of the dream had a lot to do with that swimming pool, more to do with the swimming pool than we thought. Mm-hmm. And that changed the spotlight for us. One thing, um, I, I made some notes, the bright shadow projections are interesting when the dreamer owns those.
0: Aha, uh-huh. say more when, about that.
2: When the dreamer creates this wonderful, magical, Say emperor, and then creates a throne for the emperor, and puts all kinds of beautiful uh, fabric on the emperor, and the the emperor is another actor. When we say to the dreamer, usually toward the end of the dream, can you change places? Could Mm -hmm. you be the emperor? And it's this revelation that, oh yeah, I have the emperor in me too. I'm not just the person at the emperor's feet. It's right my bright shadow
0: right you put all that energy into projecting that somebody else is brilliant or powerful exactly. or authoritative or
2: and this way people literally become their bright shadow not we don't just mm. tell them that in the discussion mm. they actually change costumes you know trade places
0: well that's i mean and there's such a strong somatic element uh, uh, two dreams, it's nice to have a way to actually touch into that. And, you know, for many of us, once we have a sense in our bodies of of embodying a certain state or having stepped over a certain threshold, it becomes real. Sometimes it just doesn't, you know, the mind can grasp a concept, but unless until we feel it in our bodies, it's not really something that we can own. Absolutely.
1: Yes, it, it's really like feeling it in, in your own bones. Yeah. Um, and uh, i think what happens what happens is oftentimes the, the I mean, what we see is that the, the image is really uh, sovereign, and then when we use words, we really pull away from the, from the, the meaning of the image. I mean, the, the image is, is sovereign, and both very, and generally, very emotional, has an emotional uh, hook on it. And the more we, and sometimes using words just distances us. I heard one dream worker say that, that we touch these images with a glove of words and then, and then don't really feel that, that. And I think this dramatic kind of uh, portrayal. Really makes us feel the the deepness of of, uh, of the kind of images that we have, and the, and the deepness of parts of ourselves that we may not get to, and we can, but we may not get to with words. Um, Irene and I use both though we do use projective dream work in the sense of explaining the dream, and people have us uh, uh, and can ask questions and and in if this or my dream format talk about what that dream would mean to them. But we find that after we do that though, and I think that 's very necessary we 're not talking about emotions being better than intellect um, or the non rational being better than the rational. They really both work together for for wisdom, and uh, it 's just that we live in a society that's so heavy headed. Um, and intellectualize that some that this way of working with dreams can really add that dimension that we miss so much in our life, and that is you know the emotional dimension and the, and the feeling dimension and the feeling in our bones and the sense of our sweaty palms and the sense of our our longing that kind of thing that sometimes we can not see so much when we try to uh, put words over these these really uh, dramatic structures or the emotions that we have. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you find that once people experience a dream portrayal, they are they're sort of hooked and they want to do it on a regular basis, like some dream groups you know, meet regularly, or is it something that they sort of have an insight as to really the depth of the dream information and so they can go back to whatever type of dream work they do with a, a, with a deepened sense of, of what's going on?
2: I think it depends a lot on the dreamer. Uh, we've had people who come regularly. We have people, and we've watched their dreams evolve and mm-hmm. how at home they are with our methods, and they can really expand it. Um, and and it, they're home. You know, they love this way of working. Other people come once, and they're very struck by it. Sometimes they're afraid to come back, I yes. think, um, because it is so emotional, and some people prefer talking, and that's fine. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, we're we're uh, we do retreats, w- weekend retreats with Jeremy Taylor, and he's in one room, and and we do dream portrayal in another room for just part of the retreat. Mm-hmm. And some people can't wait to get up and and move and use the fabrics and come to our room, and some people never come to our room. So oh, that's it depends.
0: Nice. So they they can it's sort of a they can flow from one to the other. Right. Well, that's it's so. I'm I'm curious as to whether you um, I mean, what brought you to dreams? And the, this is something that I try and ask all dream workers that I that I talk to because I think I mean mostly people will cite a dream experience, but it's different for every person. So um, I'd love to hear your stories about that.
1: You know, in in my case, Anne, I think when I don't when I'm not I have, I have a I also belong to a dream group uh, and have been. Either doing just, uh, or doing projective dream work, and 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 we've been doing dream portrayal for about four years. But I have a dream group that I go to, and in um, uh, this dream group I've been going to for about eight years now. If I don't work with my dreams, I feel so diminished. I feel like it's just, I'm just living half of my life, and I can only say that when I when I'm not involved in dream work of some sort, whether it's dream work working with others or working with my own dreams. Um, My life feels empty. It feels it feels barren, and it may be the sense of almost like without dreams is trying to live art, trying to live life without art. It's just so important to have those depths of feelings and to be able to step into other people's shoes. um, Whether it's artistically looking at a movie, let's say, or theater. it's just so important to me, and it—you it, it, know—I can't say that there was like one dream that makes me want that made me want to continue. I've always been um, really interested in my dreams and have followed them for a long time. Um, and it's something that's almost like uh, like like water. It's just something I, I, you know, I feel I really need, and I really do notice the issues that come up when I'm not following my own dreams.
0: Mm-hmm. Irene, did you have a uh, some particular story about how what led you to dream work?
2: well actually i've always been a dreamer but i started paying attention to my dreams when um, i left my day job some years ago and i decided i was going to do a lot of creative writing so i did a lot of creative writing during the day and i realized that my dreams were much more interesting <laughs> and uh... and that my my daytime writing was pretty stiff compared to my dreams and then i started doing dream work um, at a class and with a group and that's when i started doing dream theater and. My life transformed. In fact, the leader of the group said, she warned us right away. She said, you know, if you haven't quit your day job, you're going to <laughs> once you do this work because you'll, you'll change so much. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, and I started dreaming other people's dreams, people who couldn't express their dreams because their dreams were so traumatic or they just couldn't remember them because they couldn't remember. I would end up remembering the dreams for them and coming and saying, Marty, I dreamed about you. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, So I knew that I was home.
0: Right, right. There was something you had
1: to investigate further. Yeah. You know, and and there is a sense of home with working with other people and doing group dream work, that sense of um, um, not having that mask anymore. And though that's scary, I mean, I think it's one of the reasons we may have dreams about being, you know, with no clothes on is we really... Uh, 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 you know, really are part of ourselves and we really let that that be known, it really creates a, a, a sense of home and a sense mm-hmm. of community that's, that's generally not found out in the culture at large. So uh, it's very important. I think this whole sense of doing um, group dream work is, is very, very important. Mm-hmm.
2: I love the way I get to know people in two hours doing dream portrayal or discussion dream work faster than I would or more deeply than a lot of their close friends know them because right away we're talking about the important stuff and dreams don't lie When a person tells their dream they haven't faked it that's their dream and so and they don't know what it means and mm-hmm. so we start to unpack it together and we realize that those, the issues for the dreamer are similar to my issues and each other's issues and creates incredible closeness and also the sense of truth I really love that sense of truth
0: mm-hmm. You mean that sense of people, that aha, that that sense of recognition that comes from a dream, or just the sense of Well, the the
2: sense of telling my truth about my inner life. I see. And, of course, the ahas are very exciting. I love watching people's faces, and I love getting the goosebumps, and then feeling the shift, too.
0: Yes, yes. Well, there is a certain, you know, level of veneer that is stripped away as soon as you, you say a dream. I mean, there just is because, it, you know, dreams are windows into the soul just like our eyes are, as they say. I think, um, you know, you, you are revealing something of, your, of yourself that may be more or less or both more and less than you would otherwise in casual right. conversation.
1: Right. So well, it becomes you... a real spiritual practice mm-hmm, of yeah. being together and 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 being together in in that way of talking about our inner lives and and what what this undercurrent is going on in my life or or any other dreamer. I know it's so important. My wife and I went to um uh, uh, a dream group and uh it I mean I found it really incredible the way it really changed our relationship because I could when we when we talked about our dreams, we talked about things that maybe thwarted was was you know Obstacles to the kind of things we wanted, and sometimes that doesn't come out in conversations, but will certainly come out in dreams. And mm-hmm. I could be much more sensitive to the kind of issues that was going on with my wife, and then she with me too, in understanding the kind of, you know, the kind of things that, that we're seeing, maybe uh, the pain or and the joys, all those yeah. things that sometimes we're so busy in our workaday world that we don't really spend the time to do. And in dreams, we really do spend that time. It really does become a spiritual practice of, of opening up to what to what's flowing through us. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, you know, whether flowing through in images and, uh, and and dreams.
0: So uh, we've been speaking here on Dream Talk Radio to Mike Tappan and Irene Klerman. They do dream portrayal. And Mike and Irene, you are based in the Denver area. I'm wondering whether uh, you travel much. Do you mostly work out through Denver? What's your, um, you know, how far do you do you, uh, range?
1: Well, you know, we, we were at the, uh, I, the International Association for the Study of Dreams Conference in Montreal. That was great. Oh, and yes. then we've also presented in, in Chicago. We actually go where anybody would want us to go, but generally what we're doing is is doing our dream portrayal work here in the Denver area up in Longmont um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Loveland, that uh, the area around in Denver proper. And, mm-hmm. and, it's, and, and we've
2: it's, done uh, work in Boulder, and we're um, yeah. hoping to do some work in at a retreat center in New Mexico. We haven't firmed it up yet. But... Um, we're open to going where people want us. So.
0: And is there? A, we have a few more minutes. I'm wondering if there's anything else that we haven't covered, some aspect of your work that you feel would be of interest to listeners.
2: Well, Mike always tells people that um, that they don't have to be actors to do this, mm-hmm. and we're constantly amazed by the way people are transformed when they're just told, okay, you're going to be the two-year-old. And suddenly this person we've known for years is the two-year-old and is so believable and so uh, embedded in the, in the energy. Um, and so we try to assure people that they don't have to do anything. You know, just let it take you over and it will happen. I don't think we've ever seen a dream portrayal where people aren't doing one job with the acting. Because they're not really just acting. They are being.
0: Right. Well, and it's, it's outside of the performance context, which maybe makes a difference. People feel a little bit freer to actually be.
2: That's true. That's, that's very true. And we try really hard to make people feel comfortable so that they can just be. And that's exciting, an exciting place for people.
1: Yes. You know, we we chose dream portrayal because we found when we said dream theater, people got really scared about the idea of theater. And you know, we're we're not asking anybody in this in this dream work. You know, as Irene said, we don't want them to be actors, nor is it even even desired. It's just it is something though to see when a person is put in that place. What they pick up, I mean, talk about method acting, I mean they are in this place, and what flows through them is is uh, uh, you know is the, is the dream and, the, and the, the the motives and the feelings of it being that that symbol, um, but we really do tell people that mm-hmm. uh, they can 't do anything wrong, and they really can 't. If they said something that doesn 't work out, we just you know have them do it again there's just it 's not a sense of having to know lines or you know having to be a great um, uh, actor and, and really channeling this, but they but you just really see. And Irene and I are so struck with this, as Irene was saying about um, having a, a person play a kid, and all of a sudden they just turn into this wonderful, charming kid in this in this play in a small circle of of, of, of dreamers. It's just really something yes. to see.
2: Or animals or insects. Yeah, right. We had one lady playing a praying mantis. Uh, in it, that was a scary praying mantis in the dream, and we turned the dreamer towards the praying mantis and said, what do you have to tell the dreamer? And the praying mantis, this wonderful woman, she fell to her knees and said, I'm praying for you. Oh. And it, was, it so transformed the dream, and she did that spontaneously.
0: Interesting.
2: And the other thing is, um, before I w- even started doing dream portrayal, I uh, studied a long time with Jeremy Taylor, as I said, and during his dream work retreats that go all weekend, I would, at the end of each dream, um, lead people in an easy yoga inspired movement or Tai Chi inspired mm-hmm. movement and designed for anybody to be able to stand up and do that. And Jeremy was very supportive of that. He really believes that we integrate, if we can integrate the dream energies into our bodies, it will really help yeah. us work with the dream. And so I use hand positions, mudras stretches and people are usually so happy to stand up if they've been sitting all day yeah so i've done that a lot with jeremy and then i do it also at portrayal uh, at the end of each dream we kind of pull everything together and i do a very simple movement everybody can do it with me if they want to again it's voluntary and i i, I sum up what what i feel the dream was about
1: mm-hmm. we do that and, and Irene is a master at that. It's just beautiful. And and these are, you know, when we say the word yoga. It's like saying the word theater. People have all sorts of yeah, images right. of what that is. Right. But but Irene's um, mudras, the hand motions and things, just to just to embody the the themes of that dream afterwards is, is it's always really gentle motions. And we all uh, circle and and do those motions. We may be the we may be the sea, or we may be opening our heart. It's just an incredible way to really embody that because we've embodied it in the theater. And this is a really gentle way to embody the kind of things that happen that we've experienced in the dream work so mm-hmm. I, it, it's one of my favorite parts of the dream work to watch irene uh, pull things together and, and do a a, a a mudra or some or some uh, posture that really opens us up to what we've just experienced it's just great i love it
0: wonderful one last question for you both um I've, I mean, I'm, it's, I'm hearing all sorts of stories about uh, individual personal transformation, transformation of the groups. What is your vision of cultural transformation if people did, if this were more of a, of a sort of a thing that people did more often in your lives? How can you imagine this changing the culture?
1: You know, my sense of that is that if people could in dream, you know, do dream work and do it in groups, they would find that we share this common humanity, and the, and the troubles out there isn't just out there, it's within us, and yeah. we can explore that. It makes us much more compassionate to life, to the kind of troubles that we see, because we're part of it. Um, you know, the, uh, those kind of, all those things that we worry about is within us and uh, those dreams keep us from just looking at issues that happen out there or or you know, out there that they're really in here, so we can in in my own body, so that we can experience that and be compassionate to our not just to other people but to ourselves. And I'm sure the more compassionate we are to ourselves, the more compassionate this this world would be. Mm-hmm. And I think dreams really let us explore that. Certainly, um, we watch dreams really asking us to engage with parts of ourselves that we only see out, you know, that we think we, that we see out in the world, There's really, we're engaging with those parts of ourselves, too. We have no reason to be self-righteous about anything. Um, dreams really make us explore all those parts of ourselves so that we really can mm-hmm. be compassionate to ourselves and to others.
0: Irene, any thoughts on that?
2: Well, I, just, I always think about what Gandhi said, that we have to be the change we want to see in the world. Uh-huh. And if we see people in the groups change, then they go out into the world and it, it multiplies. Then they can, with their compassion, with their self-knowledge, and also removing the obstacles to the things they they want to do deep inside that they're afraid to do that are for changing the world, that, that involve changing the world. I remember one woman... Years ago, at one of Jeremy Taylor's dream groups, uh, was in tears talking about how she'd always wanted to open uh, a healing center, but of course she couldn't do that because of the, all these reasons that she had. And, but the dream showed her that she could do it, and she now has a very um, thriving dream uh, healing center in her community. Wow.
0: Wonderful. Well, Mike Tappan and Irene Clerman, thank you so much for being on Dream Talk Radio today, and. Uh, getting on the phone all the way from Denver and Environs. (laughs) Um, You can find out more about Dream Portrayal at dreamportrayal.com. And uh, just thank you both.
1: Thank you, Anne. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.
0: That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening. And remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Anne Hill, and I'll see you again next week.